For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Transform us now, tonight, by the preaching of your holy word and the power of your spirit in the midst of your people. Amen. Wonderful to see you all tonight. Have you noticed a trend now with our lectionary, with the lessons and the topics of our preaching? We're moving directly towards the second coming of Christ. This is the penultimate, which is a 25-cent word for next to last. I'm fixing to say next to last, which is a very West Texas way to say that. This is the next to last Sunday of our whole liturgical year. And it's going to be peculiar because when we start Advent, you're going to be thinking Christmas because you've got a Christmas list and Walmart told you Christmas started October 24th, etc., etc. But the readings won't go to Christmas yet because Advent begins with looking forward to the second Advent of our Lord. It will be looking towards that second coming of Jesus. And so we, see, we have this sort of uh, elision, if you will, of we end the year with the second coming of Jesus because we want to point ourselves towards the blessed hope of the coming of Christ and of our resurrection in him. And we begin the year looking forward to that blessed hope, staying dressed and ready, keeping our lamps trimmed and burning, etc., etc. So I, just want, I want you to know the lay of the land so that as you experience things, you're like, oh, yeah, Jay mentioned that. He said that would happen. Wasn't that nice of him? Yes, it was. I have a list of collects. Collects are our prayers that we pray each Sunday. I have have like a top five list, and tonight's collect is in my top five list. It's not my top one. St. Bart's uh, feast day collect is probably one of my top ones. This is in the top five list. And I hope you noticed what Chris and we, because Chris prayed on our behalf, he collected, if you will, your thoughts, and it collected the themes of the day. And I hope you notice what Chris 
prayed for all of us. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Now, what is this learning? Is this simply an increase of knowledge? Because I like learning new things. Sometimes my kids who are not here tonight, I can talk about them since they're not here, they'll say, Dad, how did you know that? Why, why did, or, or more, like with a perplexed look in their eyes, why did you know that? <laughs> I love to learn. I love to learn new stuff. It's fun. But this collect describes God as the one who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. So is that learning merely the increase of knowledge? Remember what St. Paul said? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So maybe not. Is it just for more knowledge to mo- so that we can know more than the next person? Well, look at the rest of the prayer. So here's the ask. Here's the petition of this collect. Grant us so to hear them, these scriptures. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that we may, okay, here's the point of the prayer. The le- here's the point of the learning that we may embrace it's in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that sounds to me like transformation. It sounds like learning ought to be, or learning par excellence is transformation. Why do I say that? Well, because I don't normally embrace and ever hold fast to much anything, except I know that at noon I need to eat lunch, and after I wake up I need to eat breakfast, and sometime before I go to bed I need to eat dinner. I embrace and ever hold fast to those things. I like food. But I don't really embrace and ever hold fast to that. But before we can be transformed, before we can embrace and ever hold fast, what do we have to do? Look at the list of verbs. We must hear. What are you doing right now? Step one. We must hear, read, mark. It doesn't mean you have to mark in your Bible or that you're forbidden from marking in your Bible. It simply means that you take note, that you think, ah, isn't that something? I wonder why the writer wrote that. I wonder why God inspired this prophet or that apostle to write this thing. I wonder why Jesus said that. Be curious about the Holy Scriptures. Read, hear, read, mark, learn. So we're students of them and inwardly digest. Now, so far, so good. Hear. Okay, Jay, I get it. We go to church. We hear the word, yada, yada, yada. Read. I can do that. I'm a literate person, etc. Mark, okay, that's a little more involved. I have to interact with the scriptures. Learn, okay, I can get that. But inwardly digest. What does that imply? It implies that you're going to eat the word. That you have to take it into your being. That just like I know after I wake up and after I make my coffee, I'm going to eat. And around noon, I'm going to eat. And at dinner, I'm going to eat. It implies that this word of God is what you take into your being and you inwardly digest it. And it gets turned over in your head and you ruminate on it 
In fact, it's funny because the word meditate in Hebrew is reminiscent of the word for chewing, like a sheep chewing its cud. Chewing over and over and over. And it's chewing over and over and over to draw out nutrients from this grass. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or woman who does not stand in the way of sinners, walk in the way of the wicked, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he does what? Meditates. Wow, look at you guys. He inwardly digests that law day after day after night after night. Now, what's the result of that? I want you to really, I want you to have this picture in your mind. The result of that, the psalmist says, is that he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. Its leaves do not wither. It always bears fruit. So the man or the woman who hears and reads and marks and learns and inwardly digests the word of God is like a tree by a stream of water. Where I grew up, there were no trees unless there was, even more unusual, a stream of water. That's transformation. Another thing that this collect reminds can you tell I'm preaching on the collect right now? It's FYI. Another thing that this collect reminds me of is what St. Paul says in Romans 12, too. He's, he's just explicated the entire gospel, chapters 1 to 11, in manifold mysteries therein. And then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, etc. But verse 2 is very interesting to me, and it touches on what this collect says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So if we're going to learn from the scriptures, if we're going to embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of our everlasting life, if we're going to be transformed, that means we cannot be conformed to the world, St. Paul says, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Minds are tricky. My mind was playing tricks on me this week, and I thought I left those tricks behind when I, when I set my work down for a day or two off, but as soon as I picked my work back up today and started writing again in my sermon notes, all those same tricks were there. I needed to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. I needed to remember some things that I had already heard and inwardly digested. So this transformation happens not when we look to the world, but when our minds are renewed. Our world has a lot of common myths, does it not? That the Cowboys should have a winning season. One common myth I want to pick on, and if this is your myth that you believe, I'm sorry, it's not personal, it's business. Just kidding. One of the common myths of our world, that our world forces us into conformity. You feel that, don't you? When the world sort of like pigeonholes you into something. Well, I guess, I mean, yeah, that's the way it is. One of the common myths that our world has is that we can control outcomes. I mean, look at modern society. Look at postmodern society. We have technology. We have limitless money and influence and power. 
And if we can just apply a few of those things, we can control outcomes. We can make nature do what we want it to do. We can make people do what we want them to do. You could say that history is filled with failed attempts at controlling outcomes. Different philosophies, different ways of doing government, etc. We cannot control outcomes. And I have to admit to you, in a, in a sort of confessing kind of way, I think that I can control outcomes. And maybe you might think that too. Not that I can, but that you can. That might be a common thing. And let me share with you a couple of my ineffective methods for controlling outcomes. One is simply control. And here's how I define control. I did a little homework for y'all. Here's how I define control. If all variables of a situation can be managed, I can engineer my preferred outcome. So if I can manage A, B, C, and D, then I can get E as the result. Okay? Second, just any, any situation. Just you can apply this to any situation. Manipulation, another form of control. So take all those variables, A, B, C, D, and E, or whatever they were, and turn those variables into people. If I can use my gifts and skills to manipulate people, then I can control the situation. I can control the outcome. Perfectionism. For me, this is an irrational belief that I can do something without error. And if I only do it one time without error, then what happens? My desired result. Do you, do you, are you identifying with some of these this, uh, aspects of this common myth? Obsessive thoughts. If I constantly think about it, if I Google everything about this topic, if I talk to all the people I can until I'm blue in the face and think about it nonstop, then I can control this outcome. I can have my desired outcome. It's not true. Again, these are ineffective methods, which means they don't work. It's like infamous means not famous, ineffective. Like El Wapo. And last one, this is kind of an opposite. This is one you may not think of, so I'm glad to add it to your arsenal. Avoidance. If I pretend as if a situation does not exist in hopes that I'll care less about the outcome because I don't want to control it. So if I think that a situation does not exist and I avoid it, that way when the outcome that I think is going to happen does happen, I can say, well, I didn't do anything about it. It was out of my hands. Avoidance. In light of this, in light of some of of my responses to these these controlling of outcomes, what might Holy Scripture teach me? And just, you know, for example, if maybe you can identify with that common myth, if you find yourself under the steel-toed boot of the world trying to control outcomes, how might Holy Scripture teach us And if we can't control outcomes, what are we to do? Are we to rely on fate? Are we to rely on the sort of ordered universe? Which I I still don't know what that means when people say the universe did this or that. Still not sure what that means. Are we to rely on random chance or even worse? Are we to assume that we're just these biological systems 
And whatever all of our parts do, that's what we are and we're assigned to that sort of outcome? What can Holy Scripture teach us? What can we hear? What can we read and mark and learn and inwardly digest so that we can hold fast and embrace the blessed hope of everlasting life? Well, Isaiah paints a picture not just of outcomes, but of the ultimate outcome. As we finish this year, as we finish the, the liturgical year on an upswing, Isaiah gives us a picture of what is coming. And if we can hear what the prophet says, even though God said, your mission, Isaiah, is going to be to go to people who are hearing but cannot hear and who see but cannot see, can we be different can we hear and really hear, especially what Isaiah says about our blessed hope? Hmm. See how that collect touches on what all of these lessons say tonight? Do you see how you, every Sunday, every week, are being invited into a feast, not just of ideas, but you're being invited to step into a reality that Christians for centuries and in some cases, millennia have been digesting inwardly the Holy Scriptures with. I want to call your attention to something briefly, and I'll mention it in announcements too, but we've just printed a bunch of daily prayer, prayer books with, with daily readings for you to read the Scriptures and to pray. People who have called themselves Anglicans have been praying like this for six centuries, five centuries, but more importantly, people who have called themselves Christians have been praying like this for a long, long time. This is but one way that we can read, hear, read Mark, learn, and inwardly digest. But let's take a deeper look at these outcomes, this picture that Isaiah paints. And remember that these specifically are outcomes surrounding the blessed hope of our everlasting life. And it begins with this. Look at verse 17. If you've got your bulletin, it's in there. If you've got a Bible or a phone. And if you do have a Bible or phone, mark it, because I'm going to have some homework for you later. But look at verse 17. The prophet says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now remember, this is in the context of we cannot control outcomes. And God, speaking through the prophet, and oftentimes, this is important to remember, the prophet served as God's prosecutor, as God's lawyer, if you will, in the covenant context. So Isaiah is calling to their mind and speaking on behalf of God to say, people of Israel, this is the first half of chapter 65, you didn't do this. You sought after capital F, fortune, capital D, destiny. Remember, they're trying to control outcomes. It turns out that they did it just like we do. You sacrificed to false gods. You did all these weird practices like by hanging out in graves and worshiping the, uh, the gods of the Canaanites. But now, O Israel, and people who will hear, that includes Gentiles like you and me, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So what is God saying? God is saying that the transformation that he will bring upon the world is cosmological. It is, it is huger than we can imagine. Heavens and earth, is there anything bigger than that? 
Well, the galaxy, the universe, fill in the blank. But think about that too, heavens and earth. That's also the most, most fundamental aspect of our creation, isn't it? The ground that we walk on, the air that we breathe and use to praise God or curse our brother and sister. It's so elementary, elemental, literally. So God, in his ultimate outcome, in the thing that is going to happen, in this blessed hope of everlasting life, is going to transform everything. New heavens, new earth. And the book of Revelation is going to directly echo this, directly allude to this. So the cosmos are changed. Notice what else, verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Remember, God is the creator, and he is going to do some more creating. If you are a creator of music or poetry or art or situations or families or whatever it is, if you're in the creating business, you're imaging God in a beautiful and unique way. Do not forget that. But God says, be glad in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. So we go from cosmos to the, most, the largest thing that an Israelite could imagine. Now to the city. And it's not just any city, is it? It's the holy city. It's the city that was destroyed with the temple that was holy unto God, but was destroyed when the people of Israel, Jerusalem and Judah, forsook God and, and went after false gods. They were a devoted bride, but now they've committed adultery with other gods. And God says, I take Jerusalem, a city that killed the prophets, a city that whored herself after false gods, and I make her new, rejoice in her. How's that for an outcome? How's that for something that you and I can't control, that you and I cannot engineer, make with technology, power, influence, anything like that? And God says, because I delight in Jerusalem, I do that. Okay, so we started with this wide scope. We're getting narrow. We're into city. What's going to be next? And I'm just, I'm just cherry-picking a few here and there. You can look at this whole chapter and delight in this. Verse 19. So far, so good, right? This is pretty cool. Verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. So pause right there. It's so easy just to read this stuff because we've heard this, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, God rejoices, delights, yeah, yeah. Stop. That's not hearing and reading and learning and marking and inwardly digesting. That's like what James says, like being double-minded. Like a person who looks at himself in the mirror and then forgets what they look like and they move on. That kind of person, James says, is tossed to and fro on every wind of teaching. Hear what this says, that God delights in his people, that he rejoices in his people. He's embarrassing. Oh, my kids get so embarrassed at me when I see them in public or at school. I'm like, hey, look at you. You're great. I love you. But I'm, I don't say that out loud anymore. That's implied in my actions because I've been, I've been chastised. I've been told not to say that. And guys, if I do that for my kids, even when they mess up, how much more does God do that for you and for me? This is the outcome. This isn't like maybe. This is true. This is real. I do have an outcome of preaching only 20 minutes, and I've blown past that. 
But notice in the second half of verse 19 that God says there will be no more weeping or cries of distress. So cosmos, city, consciousness. Your affect, your very being, God says, will be made new. And I want to skip ahead. Look at verse 22. The people of God will be given length of days. He says, as a tree shall be the days of my people. When you think of St. Bart's, you can think of whatever you want. But when you pray for St. Bart's, for our mission to East Dallas and beyond, I want you to think of an old tree. A big, beautiful old tree that offers shade and respite and life and correction. But it's a place that is marked by not longevity for its own sake, but longevity because of God's outcome. We want to be like an old tree. And lastly, the, the new heavens and the new earth, this new creation, this blessed hope that we are to hold fast to and embrace, there's the death of death. There's peace and judgment, and there's the death of death. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, peace. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, peace. The dust, shall, the dust will be the food of the serpent, judgment. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals that God had created. And he said to Eve, did God really say? And in pronouncing a curse upon Adam and Eve, God also pronounced a curse upon the serpent. And he said, you will always eat dust. You will strike man's heel, but he will crush your head. Here it is. The dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So what do we do with these pictures? What do we do with this reality that we're being drawn to? Well, I have a couple of ideas for you. One, I want you to do some homework this week. I want you to keep your bulletin. If you don't recycle it after the service, keep it. And I want you to take Isaiah, especially, and hear it again, read Mark, learn and inwardly digest it. Become very familiar with it. So familiar with it that you're tired of it. But intentionally turn it over in your mind and in your head. Another thing that I want you to do, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to be working on this as well, is I want you to release outcomes to the creator of heaven and earth, the one who recreates heaven and earth, the author of these pictures that we've seen. Hmm. Take the situations that you are trying to control and let go of them. And as you do, as we do, I have a feeling that we will more easily embrace and hold fast to the everlasting life and the blessed hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us, for not leaving us as orphans, but pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us. We pray now that you would draw us 
more deeply into your presence, into the life of your Holy Trinity, so that we may be not just more full of knowledge, but that we may be transformed as we behold you and become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.